You're listening to Treks and Sci-Fi Podcast with Rico Dosti and Friends. Your weekly dose of geeky goodness. Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Rock up another victory for the human spirit. You guys, cut up his brain, you bloody baffle! Welcome to episode number 387 of Treks in Sci-Fi. I'm Rick Moyer, and with me is my co-host today... I'm Chris. All the way from the big state of Florida. Yeah. We're about as far apart as we possibly can be in the continental U.S. I'm clear up on the tip of Washington State on the left side of the country, and you're clear down on on the bottom right. Is that yep. true? Yeah, and I'll be even further away next week when I'm in the Keys. Wow, that's going to be kind of cool. You're going on vacation. That's why we're recording a little bit early. I can't wait. Oh, I'm sure you can. I'll, I'll be working. You'll be playing, which is, I guess, fine. But Well, today uh, we are sitting in the host seat for Rico. By the way, Rico, thank you for allowing us this time. We get to uh, share something that's quite a... I don't know. I don't know if you, I'd call it a passion, but quite an interest to both of you and I. Yes. And that is the Planet of the Apes franchise. Yeah, I love oh, it. Oh my gosh, how cool is this? I mean, what an amazing thing! I remember when I was a little kid seeing the Planet of the Apes for the very first time, and sitting there with my mouth open, shocked. <laughs> at how darn cool it was. Yeah. I mean, to me, when I was a kid, those, you know, the, the, the makeup was so impressive. It looked real to me. And it's still, to this day, it holds up, I think. I think it's, it's some of the best makeup ever done in movies. Oh, it's, it, was, it was amazing. Especially, we hadn't seen anything like that up till yeah. this point. And so it was, it was just amazing. I was just a little kid when it came out. So I didn't see it. And, you know, I saw it later, obviously, on... Um, I don't even remember how I first saw it. It wasn't in the movie theater because I was only, what, three years old when it came out. But uh, I, I just can't, I can't, couldn't get over watching it for the, when I was aware enough to understand the plot. <laughs> that last scene, the very first time I saw it, absolutely blew me away. And it kind of gave me the creeps and, and, and gave me that tingling feeling. You know how when you're watching a movie and it just kind of just hits you right there? That's yeah. what that did to me. And I just went, oh. <gasps> No, it can't be. It can't be. It's kinda the like, ultimate twist ending. Well, kind of like the Homer Simpson thing, <laughs> you know, this one right here. This the one. only danger is if they send us to that terrible planet of the apes. Wait a minute. Statue of Liberty. That was our planet. You maniac. You blew it up. <laughs> I'll never yeah, forget awesome. those seeing him beat his hands in the sand and I thought, "Oh my gosh, this can't be." Damn you! God damn you all to hell! 
And then I remember trying calling all my friends and saying, "You got to watch this movie. It's really cool." And, but, yeah. but 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 I can't tell you the ending because it's just it's a cool twist. So yeah, yeah, I was really into it. And in fact, from then on, I think I don't I don't know how old I was when I saw it, but from then on, I played Planet of the Apes all over the farm that we grew up on. And I was, you know, some days I was the chimpanzee, some days I was a gorilla, and <laughs> and I didn't I wasn't often an orangutan just because they didn't I didn't look like them that much. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of goofy looking. Well, I thought to the, they're. <laughs> They're kind of goofy looking compared to the other guys. Was it was it in the first Planet of the Apes movie that the one guy that was the singer was was the uh, one of the orangutans? Uh, what was his name? Can't remember off the top of my head now. But he was a he was an entertainer, a singer, and they made him an orangutan. And I just you could tell who he was through the makeup, and it just always kind of ruined it for me. But uh, hmm. I don't remember. I'm sure as we go through, I'll I'll know it. I'll probably find out as we're going through the synopsis of the of the different uh, movies. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk a little bit about what the the franchise means to us, which we kind of already done. But of course, we're going to elaborate on that. But we want to go through each one of the movies, <clears throat> touch briefly on the the remake and the um, and the new one that just came out. Uh, and then, of course, there was a TV series that we're going to talk just a, a, a little bit about. But we thought it would be fun. Oh, everybody check your email now. <laughs> I left my email on. I better turn that off so people aren't through the entire series going, what in the world is he doing? All right, there. It's off. You won't hear it ding again. But um, that's what we're planning to do today is to kind of go through the synopsis of it. I found, um, Chris, you put together the notes, and you did a great job, by the way. I think uh. everybody's going to love it. And yeah. I don't know what it was, but reading through it, it has brought all these memories back. And, and it's just even though it's a brief synopsis of each movie, it just it brought back all these different memories and, and uh, things that I remembered that I appreciated about them. And, and, a, and a couple of things I didn't like too much about them. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. So it should be a lot of fun. So without any further ado, why don't we talk about, of course, the in my opinion— the best of all the movies and anything that ever was done on the Planet of the Apes franchise, and that is, of course, the first movie, Planet of the Apes. Can't help thinking that somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than man. Has to be. The words are Charlton Heston's. Get out a last signal to Earth and we've landed! The world he finds out in the galaxy will challenge every idea you've ever had of civilization. A planet where man is the lowest order of living things, and the superior beings are apes. They build the cities, make the laws, the gods, and control the guns that hunt a race of lowly, terrified humans who run wild in the jungles, are caged in the prisons, and stuffed in the museums. 20th Century Fox transforms the motion picture screen into Planet of the Apes. Pierre Boulle's finest novel since Bridge on the River Kwai. It's a world gone insane, an upside-down civilization that could not be real. Yes, a world of madness and terror has no understanding. He can be taught a few simple tricks, nothing more. 
his brain, you bloody baboon! It's a murder! It's a murder! did not end here. It ended in an episode so unpredictable, so shocking, that it made the horror which preceded it seem calm and gentle as a summer's night. A great many people worked long and hard to answer the question of what a civilization would be like where the evolutionary process had been reversed and apes were the superior species. Hundreds of technicians and the largest number of makeup artists ever assembled assisted the producers, the writers, the director, cast. Dr. Cornelius, Roddy McDowell. Dr. Zira, as played by Kim Hunter. Dr. Zayas, as portrayed by Maurice Evans. And Nova, by Linda Harrison. Now the tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. You realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Eventually a kind of living death. Planet of the Apes, beyond your wildest dreams. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about that? I, I can chime in once in a while here, but uh, why don't you read to us uh, who were the stars and uh, the year that it was put out and, and just a little bit of the uh, plot of it. Sure. Uh, came out in 1968. It was uh, directed by Franklin Schaffner, and it was starring Charlton Heston That's as right. Colonel <laughs> Colonel George Taylor, uh, Roddy McDowell as Cornelius the Bomb, Kim Hunter as Doctor Zira, Maurice Evans as Help Me Doctor Zayas, and Linda Harrison as Nova. <laughs> oh my Nova! Oh, my. oh wow! Yeah, Nova. Mm. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> yeah, she so, didn't have uh, much. She didn't have much to say, but we liked her character. Hey, you know, she she learned. Yeah, she went yeah, a little, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit about then the synopsis of this particular uh, movie. Okay, uh, we have some astronauts: uh, Taylor, who is Charlton Heston, Landon, Dodge, and Stewart, and they're in deep hibernation. And their spacecraft uh, crash lands in a lake on an unknown planet after a 2006-year voyage at near-light speed, uh, during which the crew ages only 18 months due to time dilation. That becomes a big part of the plot of many of the movies. However, due to an air leak, Stewart's suspended animation fails. The Stewart's awa- uh, uh, sorry about that. The That's astronauts okay. awaken to find Stewart's body desiccated and their ship sinking. They use an inflatable raft to reshore. Before departing the ship, Taylor notes that the current year is A.D. 3978. Once ashore, Dodge performs his soil test and pronounces the soil incapable of sustaining life. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, but remember, just a note about that. Yeah. They find one plant. Yeah. Right? How's and what that do work? they do? They, like, rip it out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there is something alive. Take it. Wait a minute. Does anybody see something wrong with this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Then uh, suddenly, clothed gorillas on horseback charge through a cornfield, brandishing firearms, snares, and nets, what they use to capture whatever humans they can. And the humans are running like lemmings. Oh, yeah. They kill those they cannot. While fleeing, Dodge is killed, Landon is knocked unconscious, and Taylor is shot in the throat. Ouch. The, 
Yikes. The gorillas take Taylor to Ape City, aptly named, where his life is saved by two chimpanzee scientists, animal psychologist Zira, played by Kim Hunter, and uh, Surgeon Galen, Wright King, I guess. Upon awakening, Taylor, now housed in the cage with a girl he later calls Nova, discovers his throat throat wound has rendered him mute. Like all the other humans in this time. Yes. Taylor discovers that the apes, who can talk, are in control and divide into a strict caste system. The gorillas are police, military, hunters, and workers. The orangutans as administrators, politicians, lawyers, and religious clerics. The chimpanzees as intellectuals and scientists. Humans who cannot talk are considered feral vermin and are hunted for sport, either killed outright, enslaved for manual labor, or used for scientific experimentation. Now, for a minute, Chris, remember, this is an interesting part. We didn't put it in here um, because, you know, we can't go on forever about the things. But I remember this movie being very controversial. It was rated G, but it had nudity in it. You remember yeah, the the yeah. scene where they they discover they come through the desert and they find this like oasis with a waterfall and a big pond and everything. They strip off their clothes and they jump in the water and they're having a great time and they look over and somebody takes their clothes. Yeah. And it was the the other humans. I don't think that male tuchuses are considered uh, obscene. I guess not. <laughs> I guess our buns are free game, I guess. I don't know. Because that's not it, because uh, at the trial later, they take Charlton they do wrappings that, off. Yeah, it's like, hmm. So, there you go. Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to do that, but I just remember that scene being really controversial and, and snickering to myself when uh, <laughs> when the little buns jumped in the water. I thought, oh, my goodness. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. my. <laughs> Zero... <laughs> Zira uh, and her fiancé, Cornelius, an archaeologist, take an interest in Taylor. Taylor attempts to communicate by writing in the dirt, but, her, but his writings are hidden by Nova and Cornelius's boss, an orangutan named Dr. Zeus. <laughs> Eventually, Taylor steals paper from Zira and uses it to write message to her. Zira and Cornelius become convinced that Taylor is intelligent, but, but, but upon learning of this, Zeus orders that Taylor be castrated. Eesh. Ouch. That's a little harsh. I I would think so, but he, you know, there this is a this movie is really interesting about the in the area of the political stuff. They yes. they nailed it. Absolutely nailed it that society gets in trouble because of the politics that are played. Very interesting. Oh yeah. Taylor manages to escape and during his fight through Ape City, he finds himself in a museum where Dodge's corpse has been stuffed and put on display. Do you remember Short- the first time you saw that? Uh, when you went so oh! creepy. No, they got him. With, yeah. the, with the eyes that are all white. Yeah, Ooh, that was gross. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, Taylor is recaptured by gorillas. Finding that his throat has healed, he angrily addresses him, shouting, Take your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. Oh, man. And everybody goes, oh, my gosh, there's a human that's talking. Yep. I mean, it's a great quote. It's one of the best of all time. Back in his cell, Taylor is separated from Nova, and the warden, Julius, sprays Taylor with water, which is where he says it's a madhouse, another great line. Oh, man. That is a great line. (laughs) The apes hold a tribunal to determine Taylor's origins run by the president of the assembly, Dr. Zaius and Dr. Maximus, with Dr. Honorius as the prosecution. Taylor tells of his two comrades, and at this point... 
the court produces Landon, who has been subjected to a lobotomy that has rendered him catatonic. Yeah. yeah. I can't think of that. That's another great line. You cut out his brain, you bloody yeah, baboon. Yeah, yeah. And they had like a horseshoe-looking scar on his yeah. on his head. And everybody just kind of went, ouch. Yikes. <laughs> After yeah. the tribunal, Dr. Zayas privately threatens to lobotomize Taylor if he doesn't tell the truth about where he came from. Oh, no. Mm. With help from Zira's socially rebellious nephew, Lucius, Zira and Cornelius free Taylor and Nova, taking them to the Forbidden Zone, a wow. region outside of Ape City subject to an ancient taboo that has remained quarantined for centuries. A year later, Cornelius led an expedition into the Forbidden Zone and found a cave containing artifacts of a, pre- a previous non-Simian civilization. The party then set out for the cave to answer the questions Taylor has about the evolution of the ape world and prove he is not of their world. Mm, That's right. Yes. Arriving at the cave, Cornelius is intercepted by Dr. Zaius and his soldiers. Zaius agrees to enter the cave to disprove their theories and also avoid any physical harm to Cornelius and Zira. Cornelius displays the remnants of the technologically advanced human society predating Simian history. Taylor identifies some of the more recent artifacts as dentures, a pair of prescription glasses, a heart valve, and to the ape's astonishment, a talking children's doll. Ah, yes. Mama! Yeah, I remember that. That was awesome. Yeah. Dr. Zayas admits that he has always known that human civilization existed long before apes ruled the planet. He explains that the Forbidden Zone was once a paradise. Man made a desert of it. Ages ago. Once Taylor and Nova have ridden away on horseback, Dr. Zayas has the gorillas lay explosives to seal off the cave and destroy the remaining evidence of human society while, leave, while having Zira, Cornelius, and Lucius charged with heresy. Do you remember, do you remember when, uh, when Taylor says goodbye to... Uh... Oh uh, yeah, yeah, and and kisses her, and she's like, <laughs> was, "Oh no, well you're you're just so damned ugly." Yeah, so funny. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, sorry. That's fine. <laughs> Taylor, <laughs> Taylor, and Nova follow the shoreline and eventually discover the charred remnants of the Statue of Liberty, ju- thus revealing that this alien planet that had previously a human civilization long before apes ruled is actually bum 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 post-apocalyptic earth oh man do you remember do you remember the first time you saw that and what the the feelings you had as the camera panned up i do you didn't know what he was looking at you know and you're thinking gosh this must be really bad what did he find did he find the other you know the other another ship you know crashed onto the side of the the cliff there or what and then as the camera comes up from behind and you see these things sticking up you're like what the heck and as it goes back, you're like, oh, no. That was fantastic. What a what an amazing... In cinematic history, there's really nothing quite like that scene. No. And I had just... The first time I had seen that, we had taken a trip. I grew up in, in New York, and we had taken a trip to the Statue of Liberty. So, oh, that uh, was... Then it really made something out of it, didn't it? When I was a kid, I'm like thinking, well, how the heck did it end up over there? Because... We're way out on an island in the harbor, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it really it does play with your mind a little bit, but yeah, that's a great ending. It's probably, you know, top twenty endings, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's for... right up there. Yeah. Uh, why? What? What did? What made that movie? This particular movie is it your favorite one out of all the Apes movies? I think you said. Oh, absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's not. I mean, there's but through the sequels, I have my favorite, but this is that. Obviously, it doesn't get any better than uh, than this. The, the writing, the story is is tight. It makes a little bit of more sense than some of the other ones. Plus, the the uh, having Charlton Heston through the whole movie, I mean, the guy's just 
eating scenery up, man. Oh, yeah, big time, big time. I I think for me, this is also the best out of all of them, as far as the 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 whole idea and the the concept of it. Really fascinating when you look at the political and the religious implications of it. And uh, from my background, you know, being a pastor and and working in the church for some years, um, this movie wasn't so popular, obviously, with the with Christian people because of the whole idea of evolution. and But I have to say that as I looked at this movie and the concept and the idea, it was like watching an episode of The Twilight Zone. It, well, and, and that now, stands to reason. Exactly. And, and I know on the notes that you sent me and something that I saw um, on the box set of The Planet of the Apes where they do the behind-the-scenes stuff, um, it says here the script was originally written by Rod Serling but had many rewrites before eventually being made. Directors J. Lee Thompson and Blake Edwards were approached, but the film's producer, Arthur P. Jacobs, upon the advice of Charlton Heston, chose Franklin J. Schaffner to direct the film. Schaffner's changes included creating a more primitive ape society instead of the more expensive idea of having futuristic buildings and advanced technology. Now, you were telling me before we started the the show, this was originally taken from a, a novel that wasn't really the same plot. No, I mean, there's similar characters. There's an astronaut not named Taylor, Ulysses. Right. right. Um, but it is a different, it is like a more advanced ape society than is shown in the movie. Right. And the plot is is... You know, there's some there's some similar notes, but it's it's fairly different, and the and the ending is 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 another uh, shock ending, but it's just that. But it's since, not not what we saw. <laughs> no, it's more it's a little bit similar to the remake, which we'll get to later. Yeah. Well, you had written here too that the filming took place between May uh, and August 1967, uh, mostly in California and Arizona, with the opening scene shot at Lake Powell, Utah. The film's budget was approximately five million eight hundred thousand mm. dollars, which that's, is little that's, tiny compared to what they do now. But I guess with inflation and everything, that's still that's not even an indie movie nowadays. No, no. <laughs> uh, the film was released on February eighth, nineteen sixty eight, in the United States, and was a commercial success, gaining thirty two million five hundred eighty nine thousand six hundred twenty four dollars at the international box office. Its budget, oh, like we said before, was five point eight. Uh, $5.8 million. The film was really groundbreaking for all the different makeup techniques uh, by um, artist John Chambers and was really well received by critics and audiences launching the film franchise. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the, the behind-the-scenes look at it. Now, you've got some great trivia things for us, too. Yeah. Um, I, I, one thing I thought was really interesting, John Chambers, the makeup artist on this movie uh he based upon uh techniques he had used during world war ii to give um disfigured veterans a more normal appearance oh that's interesting yeah you know like you know making if they had like burns or whatever making their face look a little bit more normal sure he also spent hours and hours at the zoo studying apes studying their facial expressions so well it completely showed in the movie because they look i mean that was amazing It, it held up on the big screen which you know I mean, if you're going to make makeup work, that's where you need to make it work at, and they did. He did. Yes, absolutely. It's it's just some of some of the best. I I I I'm, I would like it if if there was an ape on the crew of of a Star Trek show. I think oh, that'd be, be right. so awesome. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, all the ape actors and extra, they're required uh, to wear their masks, even during breaks and in between shots, because it took so long to make them up. Uh, because of this, they liquefied their meals and drank them through straws. Oh, can you imagine how hot and itchy that was? Yeah, and they're in California and yeah. Arizona. Yeah, you know, and and you could tell by you know the scenes that were shot, it was pretty warm out. Yeah, pretty much everywhere they went. So I can't even imagine what that must have been like to wear that makeup from early morning till late at night. Ugh, Ugh. <laughs> not fun. Now Roddy, Roddy McDowell plays Cornelius. He's uh, recommended to his companions that they should frequently add ticks, blinks, and assorted facial gestures to add a sense of realism and keep the makeup from appearing like a mask. Uh, he reportedly became a merry prankster with the makeup, driving home with his makeup on and shocking some of the other drivers <laughs> on the freeway. Well, yeah, nobody had seen it yet, you know? Yeah. That, that must so, be can you imagine driving down the freeway and looking over and there's, some, there's a monkey driving? The... <laughs> and there's you can really see that in in uh, Cornelius. He, he, his, his face is always doing something. Oh, he did. And that's, I think, what made it more believable. You know, once you... Because if you look at their makeup, the only thing that really wasn't that great was like their feet. You oh, know, the feet were stupid. Yeah, well, it was it was basically you know like sandals with fur on the top of them. Yeah, and like one weird toe stick. Yeah, you know? yeah. So it really didn't that, those weren't the greatest. But I have to say the rest of it looked very realistic and yeah. and especially the way that he had people moving and their mannerisms and stuff. It was very it was very good. Yes. And uh, last bit of trivia here. Um, in the scene in the Ape City Natural History Museum, the, a large claw of a strange animal can be seen prominently displayed several times on a pedestal at the top of the stairs. It is the plaster cast made of the foot of the monster that attacks the uh, spaceship in Forbidden Planet. I didn't know. I did not know that. I had not heard that before. So that was very, very cool. That is cool. You know, when they had those footprints, you know, that was... That was pretty cool. I don't know Absolutely. about I don't know about you, but when they went to the when they were doing the chase scene through the museum, that was fascinating to me. I don't yes. know, and I don't know why. I I can't put my finger on why. I thought it was so interesting, but uh, you know, I I think anytime you see the apes, you know, the the human and the ape civilization turned backwards, you yeah. just think of all the different things that you did as a kid, and you think, oh my gosh, that's so weird. You know, opposite. <laughs> it was just really cool. I really really liked it. And thanks to Blu-ray, when I, when I watch that scene now, I can see the people moving slightly because it's all people sort of standing still. Oh, that's so funny. They're not actual, yeah. they're not actual dummies, huh? No, it's just people. That's hilarious. So, now, I did yeah. not know that either. I noticed that on my last viewing when I, with the Blu-rays. Do any of them blink? Uh, it, Probably not. Uh, no, but that you know, when he finds his friend. His friend does move slightly. Yeah, but, it's like oh. you know, listen, I don't, I don't let that stuff bother me. Yeah, sure. They just painted him a little bit, you know, <laughs> pa more pasty. I guess I don't know, but yeah, great movie, Planet of the Apes, groundbreaking as far as uh, that was concerned. And obviously, they made enough money on it to turn around and do the sequels. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so now we're at beneath the Planet of the Apes. Planet where apes evolved from men? There's got to be an answer. Don't look for it, Taylor. You may not like what you find. Damn you! The year. 3,955. Charlton Heston 
as Taylor, a 20th century astronaut, space wrecked in the incredible future. Linda Harrison as Nova, a savage beauty from the enslaved and voiceless human race. They're marked for target practice. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor, trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth, a planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. into the Forbidden Zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the guerrillas. Oh, and they! And they! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them. Engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the Apes. Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here. We are determined to know what the Apes want. War or peace? The super-intelligent mutants. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god. Doomsday bomb. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. The irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants. In civilization's final battle, to answer the ultimate question. Can a planet long endure, half human and half ape? Is it the beginning or the end? And that was put out in 1970, directed by Ted Post, starring James Franciscus as Brent, David Watson as Cornelius, Kim Hunter as Zira, again, she reprised her role, and Maurice Evans as Zaius. And yeah. and this and James Gregory as General—was uh, it Ursus? Is that how you said his name? Ursus, yeah. Yeah. He was an interesting character. Well, now this plot's really interesting. It follows the events of the Planet of the Apes— time-displaced astronaut Taylor Charlton Heston and the mute Nova, Linda Harrison, as they're riding on horseback through the desert of the Forbidden Zone. Without warning, fire shoots up from the ground and deep chasms open. Confused by the strange phenomenon, uh, Taylor investigates the cliff wall and then disappears before Nova's eyes. I remember thinking, (laughs) what the heck? Yeah, This is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Elsewhere in the Forbidden Zone, a second spaceship has crash-landed after being sent to search for Taylor and his crew. Like Taylor's ship, it's traveled into Earth's distant future. Or distant future. However, surviving astronaut Brent, James Franciscus, believes he has traveled to another planet. He encounters Nova and notices she's wearing Taylor's dog tags. Hoping Taylor is still alive, he rides with her to Ape City, where he's shocked to discover the simian civilization. He observes the guerrilla General Ursus, James Gregory, uh, leading a rally calling for the apes to conquer the Forbidden Zone and use it as a potential food source. 
against the objections of orangutan Dr. Zayas, Maurice Evans, Brent is wounded by a guerrilla soldier and taken by Nova to the home of the chimpanzees Cornelius and Zira. Here they are again. Yeah. Who treats his wound and tells him of their time with Taylor. The humans hide when Dr. Zayas arrives and announces that he will accompany Ursus on the invasion of the Forbidden Zone. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later, but uh, Roddy McDowell didn't come back for the second movie. But he, he didn't. But he was in all the rest of them. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in all the rest of them, but he was directing a movie when this one was being made. And that scene where the general's talking to everybody, that great line, the only good human is yeah, a dead, dead human. human. Yeah. And if you, that's a scene where it's really noticeable that a lot of the people, a lot of the apes are wearing masks. They yeah. didn't actually weren't able to make them all up. That's because the their budget was lower. Oh, way lower. Yeah, they, they never got any higher than that budget. Nope. <laughs> no. Way oh, lower. <clears throat> attempting to flee the city, Brent and Nova are captured by gorillas. Ursus orders they be used for target practice, but Zira helps them escape. They hide in a cave, which Brent soon discovers is the ruins of the Queensboro Plaza station of the New York City subway, making him realize that he has traveled through time to Earth's post-apocalyptic future. Do you remember how cool that was? That was cool. Oh, man. Love those scenes. After following a humming sound deeper into the underground tunnels, Brent begins to hear voices telling him to kill Nova. Entering the remains of St. Patrick's Cathedral, he finds a population of telepathic humans who worship an ancient nuclear bomb. (laughs) Yeah. Brent and Nova are captured and telepathically interrogated, and Brent reveals the apes are marching on the Forbidden Zone. The telepaths attempt to repel the apes by projecting illusions of fire and other horrors as they had uh, done with Taylor and Nova. Dr. Zayas sees through the illusions, however, and leads the ape army to the ruined city. With the apes closing in, the telepaths plan to detonate their divine bomb as a last resort. They hold a religious ceremony, at the height of which they remove their masks to reveal that they have been grotesquely mutated by centuries of exposure to nuclear fallout. Oh, man, I'll never forget when they they were going to reveal themselves to their creator and they whip off those masks. And I just went, oh, oh my gosh. Cool makeup. That creeped me out when I was a kid. It still creeps me out. It does. It does. Brent is separated from Nova and taken to a cell where he finds Taylor. The mutant um, Ongaro, is that how you say his name? Yeah. Yeah. Don Pedro Coley uses his telepathic powers to force Brent and Taylor to fight each other to the death. This is like cage, you know, cage fighting right here. <laughs> Nova escapes her guard and runs to the cell, screaming her first word, Taylor. Yeah. This breaks on Garo's uh, concentration, freeing Brent and Taylor from his control. Then they overpower and kill him. Brent describes the bomb the mutants worship, and Taylor recognizes it, recognizes it as the doomsday bomb capable of destroying all life on the planet. The apes invade the subterranean city, killing Nova and making their way to the cathedral. They are confronted by Mendez, Paul Richards, who raises the bomb into activation position before being gunned down. Brent and Taylor attempt to stop Ursus from accidentally setting off the weapon, but Taylor is shot. Brent manages to kill Ursus before being shot dead by the gorillas. The mortally wounded Taylor pleads with Dr. Zayas for help, but Zayas refuses, saying 
that man is only capable of destruction. In his last moment, Taylor brings his hand down on the activation switch, triggering the bomb and wiping out all life on Earth. It's doomsday. <laughs> Man, what a ride that movie was, huh? And and <laughs> probably the most depressing ending oh. of any movie. And it was it was creepy, especially when they were yeah. chanting and singing to the bomb. Yeah. You know, instead of all creatures, you know, you know, bright and whatever, they're they're singing to the bomb and they're doing it like in church style. <laughs> it's the worst music ever. Oh, it, I know. It's really, really odd sounding. Yeah, it is. But it was it was creepy enough that it made it really cool, I have to say. Well, I mean, but, you know, they they rehashed a lot of the first movie with Brent, but at least they they had a really unique take on the on the on the ending of the movie. And and with the with the mutants and everything, I thought that was uh that kind of redeems it a little bit. It did, and I I remember uh, my first thoughts on the movie after watching it was um, the uh, telepaths, interesting outfits that they had, you know. And I I kind of wondered at the beginning why they had those little you know those little jumpsuits and the and the well they weren't just jumpsuits they had lots of but they, but they had the little thing that covered their head, and I couldn't figure out quite what that was all about. And then of course we find out later that it's because they yeah. have masks on, but. But uh, yeah, really interesting, and the tele, tele um, the telepathic abilities and everything, very interesting. Made it very surreal and kind of like you were on a little acid trip as you were watching it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a weird. It was very seventies. Let's just put it that way. Oh, it sure is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why don't you share some of the behind the scenes stuff? So Heston, um, he showed not too much interest in coming back as Taylor. Uh, but he did agree to uh, briefly appear with the provision that Taylor is going to be killed at the beginning of the movie and that he won't take any money, but he wants the producers to uh, donate his payment to charity, which is awful nice of him. I thought According that was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he must have had some, some scratch. Yeah. <laughs> According to uh, producer Mort Abrams, uh, he initially he refused initially to appear in, this, in the sequel, but he made so much m- money out of the first one that Richard Zanuck, who was the studio head uh, uh, at that time, Asked Hessen to do a cameo as a favor. So he didn't profit from the movie. Taylor disappears at the story start, only to be reunited with Brent much later in the movie and die at the end. So he still <laughs> only had like probably two days worth of work to do on the movie. Yeah. But, yeah. Know, it spread out more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Roddy McDowell, like we talked about earlier, he didn't come back because he was in Scotland directing a movie called Tam Lynn. Hope it so, was worth it. Yeah, really. Yeah. And uh, Orson Welles was offered the role of General Ursus, which could have been pretty cool. Yeah. He turned it. He turned it down. Uh, again, like we said, the most famous line that he spoke was, "The only good human is a dead human." Yeah, yeah. And this one grossed uh, eighteen, about nineteen million dollars at the box office with a three million dollar budget. They they reduced the budget by two million something, and that you know, th- the, thus the peop- the apes with the masks. <laughs> right, but they re- and, and and they made less money as sequels usually in the old days did. It was called diminishing returns. You just right. They didn't spend more money on sequels because they weren't going to make as much. But still, I'm telling you what, fifteen million dollars in the day wasn't so bad. I mean, you know, listen. Yeah. You know, nobody's crying for for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tw- nobody's going oh, 20th century Fox. Uh, let's just do this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, they, they, um, sorry, go ahead. No, you're all right. Go go for some right. trivia. I like the trivia. Yeah. So an early draft of the script, uh, Planet of the Men, it was called, uh, written by Pierre Boulet, who was the original author of the uh, the novel Planet of the Apes. Right. 
It featured a messianic tailor 14 years after the events of Planet of the Apes. It involved an uprising against the apes, following which they would revert back to their primal states. That could have been pretty cool. I think that would have been kind of a cool movie myself. Yeah, but... and completely different. Oh, yeah. It would have but, taken it in a completely different direction, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, like I said earlier, due to the smaller budget, many of the extras wore masks instead of the famous ape makeup. And you can tell in the crowd scenes because they, all their eyes don't work right, quite right. Yeah. And the, they're yeah, all hollow looking. Very static. Yeah. And there was going to be a scene with a half-human, half-ape child. However, the producers were afraid that not only would the scene be too confusing, but they would also lose their G rating. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, I guess just for the thought of it. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And the, the ratings are different nowadays, but uh, that would have been really interesting. Yeah. And, of course, would have, again, started into the whole, you know, it would have taken it a different direction, I think. Yeah, I mean, you know. Kind they, of. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm pretty happy that wasn't in there. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the way that it came out was was very very cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, this was definitely a, a really cool sequel to the movie and to the original movie, and I just remember being very excited to see another one and going, "Oh, this is so cool!" You know, uh, and of course by then that by then I already knew that there was one because I watched Planet of the Apes, um, you know, past 1970. I was still I had to have been about 10 or 11 when I saw it, so. Uh, it had already been out, and you know a lot of the sequels had already come out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but they now they they went on again and did a third movie this time, um, and it was called Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and this one was far different than the others. This is Doctor Zero, her loving husband Cornelius, and Little Milo. The most dangerous to man is Little Milo. Why? The time is 1973. The place is right here on Earth. How did they get here? What is their reception? Welcome, gentlemen, to the United States. Escape from the planet of the apes. Their adventures are completely fresh, completely new. Astonishingly different from what you experienced in Planet of the Apes and beneath the planet of the apes. At first, feared and imprisoned. We'll take the female first. Well, she seems to be pretty smart. All right. We'll go for the banana. Well, why doesn't she take it? Because I loathe bananas. I don't believe it. Sarah, are you mad? Until we know who our friends are and who our enemies are. And how in the name of God are we to know that unless we communicate? We can speak, so I spoke. The president convenes a special board of inquiry. Have you a name? Zero. Does the other one talk? Only when she lets me. <laughs> Embraced by our civilization, the nation gives them a hero's welcome. Address, please. To Zoo. <laughs> Well, it's sort of uh, like grape juice plus. How is that? It's very wet. It's certainly the most incredible story this reporter has ever covered. And you share the impact of every incredible moment. 
must have been the shock. Shock, my foot. I'm pregnant. The president's chief advisor wants them murdered, or else the human race cannot survive. The escape. The birth of an infant who could threaten man's very existence. You're the second human I've kissed. You are the first. The relentless chase. The stunning climax. Shoot. Why was Washington thrown into a turmoil by this one baby? Stop him! Escape from the planet of the apes. Yeah, and it was in 1971. Why don't you give us a rundown on that? All right, that was directed by a guy named Don Taylor, and Roddy McDowell's back as Cornelius. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> He's Kim a good Hunter. actor. Kim Hunter, of course, is here as Salmoneo. As Milo, who you might remember yeah. from such movies as Rebel Without a Cause and some other ones I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> and Ricardo Montalban as Armando. Yeah, the uh, circus owner, yeah. Yeah. Bradford Dillman as Dr. Dixon, the and uh, Natalie Trundy as Dr. Branton, mm-hmm. and Eric Braden as Dr. Hasline, who was mentioned in the first movie. Oh, and he was he was a mean dude, man. Yeah, he was a real SOB for yeah, sure. Yeah, not very fun. Okay. So what was the plot of this one? The, it begins by establishing that three apes, Cornelius, Zira, and Dr. Milo, escaped the Earth's destruction by salvaging and repairing the astronaut Taylor spaceship, which uh, sank in the first movie. Piloting it through the shockwave of Earth's destruction, sending the ship through a time warp. Ah, uh, yes. Let's do the time <laughs> yeah. warp again. Yeah. I, I, knew, I knew it was coming. <laughs> you knew I'd say something. <laughs> the salvage, repair, and launch all happen within the brief period of the final act of the first of the previous film. They are, those apes. They're pretty resourceful. Oh, absolutely. I mean, come on. We didn't know anything about it, but they, they probably had it in their garage, and they were working on it, and they didn't tell. Yeah, that's probably what it was. They arrive on Earth in, seven, in 1973 on the Pacific coast, and that where they take their helmets off and then the do, do, wasn't that just fantastic? Uh, I mean, I, I, I remember seeing that and going, "Oh my gosh, they came back to Earth!" And, the and then I go, and then I thought to myself, "Wait a minute, they were already on Earth." But yeah, anyway, it was really cool when they pull off their helmets and the army just stands there. Like, yeah, I love it. Oh no. Oh. That's one of the best openings. It is. And then, of course, yeah. And then, of course, they start using instead of... Now, the last two movies didn't use music that was modern. No, this one was more... This one was totally 70s and... Contemporary. Yeah, and it was awesome. With some Wakacha in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, they don't talk. But the ape's power of speech is revealed when Zira's impatience gets the better of her during an experiment, which is great. You know, when they ask, yeah. why won't she eat the banana? Because I love bananas. bananas. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Oh. And soon, soon after this, uh, Dr. Milo is killed by a gorilla who becomes agitated by an argument amongst the three chimpanzees. That was kind Chilton. of a sad scene, I thought. Yeah. We never really got a, to know re- Dr. Milo. There's a reason for that, uh, uh, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, a presidential commission has been formed to investigate the return of Taylor's spaceship and how the apes, 
which they already are aware are atypically intelligent, came to be aborted. The apes are brought before the presidential commission, where they publicly reveal their ability to speak and are welcomed as guests. Cornelius and Zira secretly tell Stephanie and Lewis they know about Taylor, how humans are treated in ape-dominated future, and how the Earth's event and about the Earth's eventual destruction. Stephanie and Lewis are shocked, but they handle it and tell Cornelius and Zira to keep it quiet until they find the right people to talk to. Yeah, can you imagine? Well, I guess we do, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> the apes become celebrities, being lavished with presence and media attention. They come to the attention of the president's science advisor, uh, sorry, okay. Dr. Otto Hasslein, who discovers Zira is pregnant and fears for the future of the human race. Determined to force the issue, he gets her drunk on champagne, which he assures her is harmless, calling it Grape Juice Plus. Oh, I love that. Grape and Juice she, Plus. And she loves it. Yeah, she does. The resulting interrogation enables him to convince the commission that Cornelius and Zira must be subjected to more rigorous questioning. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Doesn't does the male talk? Only when she lets me. <laughs> that was awesome. Both are questioned using various means of interrogation. During this time, one of Hasslein's assistants referred to the apes as monkeys, stirring Cornelius's <laughs> anger. Hasslein diffuses it, saying they simply want to know how apes rose in dominance over men. Cornelius reveals that the human race will eventually meet his downfall and will be dominated by simians, which will later lead to Earth's destruction. However, they are still suspicious about humans are treated in the future, uh, rather than the Earth's destruction. Uh, suspicion has already been aroused by Zira letting slip during the original hearing that she had dissected humans in the course of her work. Oops. Yeah. Hasline orders Lewis to administer a truth serum to her while Cornelius is taken to confinement quarters. Lewis warns Zira that the serum will have the same effect as the champagne Hasline convinced her to drink earlier. As a result of the serum, Hasline learns for himself that Zira examined and operated on humans in the future. Zira is taken to join Cornelius in confinement while Hasline takes his findings to the U.S. president. An orderly bringing food refers to the unborn child as Little Monkey. Uh -oh. Cornelius has heard enough and knocks the tray out of the orderly's hand, sticking he only knocked the guy unconscious and calls for the ape's execution. Uh -oh. The president, he reluctantly orders that the unborn child's birth be terminated and both be sterilized. Running for their lives, Cornelius and Zira find shelter in a circus run by Senor Armando Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> Rich Corinthian leather. <laughs> Where an ape named Heloise has just had a baby. There Zira gives birth to a son who she names Milo after Dr. Milo. Uh -uh. Hasline, knowing Zira's birth was imminent, orders a search of all circuses and zoos. As a result, Armando must send the apes away. Lewis gives Cornelius a pistol to use as a last resort. Hasline tracks the apes down to an abandoned ship and finds Zira resting with her infant. Hasline shoots Zira as she refuses to hand over her infant and then proceeds to fire several shots into the infant. He is immediately shot to death by Cornelius and falls overboard. After Cornelius kills Hasline, he is shot by an unseen Marine Corps sniper, and as Stephanie and Lewis watch, falls to the deck of the ship. Zira tosses her dead baby over the side of the ship before crawling to lie with her husband. Oh, man. I hate that. That, so, was, that was a rough scene. So sad. Yeah. The survivors are unaware of the real fate of the infant ape. Cornelius, Zira, and Armando switched babies with Heloise before their escape. Armando now watches over the infant Milo. The film ends with the baby Milo sitting in a cage, plaintively speaking the words, Mama, Mama. 
in, in a stunning special effect where they simply <laughs> repeated the frames First. like four times. Yeah, I know. They just ran it back. It, it was it's like, not so great, are you but... kidding me? After all that? I know. But it. But what a great movie. I just loved it. I really like this movie a lot, probably because it, it uh, was in modern times. And, you know, bringing the apes into our... We had already seen in two other movies. We had seen, you know, all this stuff happen where, you know, the humans were put into this ape society. Now, the apes were put in a similar situation coming to the human society. And I, I don't know about it about you, but I really dug it. I thought it was a really cool show. Yeah, I love any kind of fish-out-of-water story. And um, it's, a, it's a great... It's just it's well it's really really well done and they 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 made they totally took it out of the script of Planet of the Apes you know it was uh, it was really unique the way they the way they uh, brought them into modern times and you know were able to keep the franchise going uh, and I yeah. loved it and and it, it was not expected I didn't you know I was really surprised that they went in that in that particular. Um, in that particular direction, but and the, really the only unbelievable part for me was the fact that they had somehow miraculously gotten that ship put together <laughs> yeah. in the in a matter of you know the other guys trying you know going to find the city and you know, it, know. it was like wait a minute that that just doesn't work but hey it's science fiction yeah that ship did not look flyable to me no no I I don't <laughs> know. But it was a pretty cool ship, I have to say. We didn't really talk about the spaceship, but that what an iconic-looking spaceship with that thing stuck out of the water like that. Cool. The Icarus, yeah. I'd uh, love to get a model of that. Oh, and, I would, uh, too. I don't know if it exists, but... I, th- I think it might. Maybe... I don't know. I've got. I've certainly. Ha- I've done two ape models recently. Maybe I'll. I'll try to find that. Oh, that, that would be That's just pretty. awesome if you could get your hands on that. Well, a little bit of the, the behind the scenes on this particular movie. Roddy McDowell and Natalie Trundy are the only cast members to appear in four of the five original Planet of the Apes movies. Um, Roddy McDowell appeared in all of them except for the first sequel, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Natalie Trundy did not appear in the original Planet of the Apes movie, but appeared in all the four sequels. And the Sal uh, Minio found the makeup uncomfortable, so they I think they rewrote the script and they'd kill his character off earlier than was planned. He would have been around for for more of the movie. Yeah, that's why he got choked out by a gorilla. Yeah, you know, then that yucky, awful scene. (laughs) The box office gross was twelve million three hundred forty-eight thousand nine hundred five on a budget of now down to two million five hundred thousand. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that con- that, con- that consideration bringing it into 1970s was that oh, they yeah. could spend less money on it. Yeah, but still, they made ten million, close to ten million dollars off it, which at that time again was huge. It's a nut. Listen, eight million profit, still enough to keep making movies. I know. It's like, come on, let's go. Um, <laughs> Zira's first line in the presence of humans, because I loathe bananas, is a reference to Kim Hunter's real distaste for the fruit, which originated during the filming of the first Planet of the Apes. The actors portraying apes were required to keep their makeup on, of course we already talked about that, during the breaks in order to save time, so the rest of the crew often called them monkeys and offered them bananas <laughs> just to mock them. <laughs> that's, people are terrible. I know, that's horrible. But whatever, I guess. Um, the film's villain, Dr. Hasline, had been previous, uh, briefly mentioned at the beginning of the Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes. And I, now, I can't remember that, but... Uh, 
Yeah, it's when they're talking about when when Charlton Heston finds out that what the year is, and he's talking about everyone you've known is dead and gone. Oh, that's right. And he talks about Doctor Hasline's theory yeah. of time dilation. Okay, all right. Now I remember. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I did not know this before reading your notes. How cool is that? That's cool. Yeah. For the death scene, Cornelius and Zira were originally going to be ripped apart by a pack of Doberman pinchers, which, Jeez. of course, was the feared dog in the 70s. Yeah. You know, now it would have been pit bulls, you know, uh, um, by Dr. Hasseline. But producers thought the scene would be far too gruesome, so they shot them instead. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's pretty gruesome when Cornelius falls off on the boat's deck and you see him hit the thing. And Oh, I know. That was pretty, it was very violent. And again, the only thing that was cheesy about that was his feet. His feet just stuck out, didn't they? Didn't they stick out to you? It was like, what's he got on his feet there? Are those ape, ape shoes or what? They're the worst looking things. <laughs> I don't know. They just, they, I think they just said, eh, let's just have a toast out here right well you know it reminds me of i don't know if they had these when you were a kid but we had a local shoe store here called adamore's adamore's shoe store and when you went in and got your shoes you know they, they it was the full service man they you measured your feet and you know a salesman took all the time with you and then at the end they would uh, blow up a balloon in the shape of like a i don't know it was a weird shaped looking balloon and then they would put these little to to seal off the bottom part so the air wouldn't get out they were these little shoes, and you put the thing, and they look just like the shoes from Planet of the Apes. So there you go. <laughs> well, that's why that, that's why that's in your head. See, it is. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously they made enough money because we've got another movie. We sure do. And this one is called Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Now the biggest, the newest. The most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures. Climaxed by the spectacular Revolt of the Apes. The most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First pampered as pets, then abused as servants, now oppressed as slaves. Forces, police, militia, and reserve defense units. See that every entrance into the city is cordoned off immediately. Yes, sir. Our control methods to improve the use of tear gas and sedation dunks. There will be but one control method. Shoot to kill. the screen explode as man faces ape in the ultimate revolution. Where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! <laughs>
1972. They put these out right, you know, one right after another. They don't. They didn't mess around back then. No. Directed by Jay Lee Thompson, starring Roddy McDowell, Caesar, Ricardo Montalban as uh, Montalban. Mont- <laughs> I can't even Montalban. I don't even know Mont- how to say it. Mont- as Armando, yeah. Uh, Don Murray as Governor Breck, Natalie Trundy as Lisa, Harry Rhodes as McDonald. And here's the plot. The opening title set the film in North America, 1991. I love it when I do that. It's like, The oh. far-flung future. Yeah. Armando, which was Ricardo Montalban, explains that in 1983, 10 years after the end of Escape from the Planet of the Apes, which was set two years ahead of its theatrical release date, a disease killed all the world's cats and dogs, leaving humans with no pets. Now, this upset me personally because I like my dog and cats. Yeah. To replace them, humans began keeping monkeys and apes as household pets. <laughs> okay. Realizing the apes' capacity to learn and adapt, humans trained them to perform household tasks. By 1991, American culture is based on ape slave labor. Our own laziness is our undoing. It is. I Watch out, everybody. Armando and Caesar, Roddy McDowell, uh, a young uh, chimpanzee horseback rider in Armando's circus, distribute flyers around a large city to advertise the circus's arrival. Armando warns the chimpanzee to be careful. Should, <laughs> be careful. Should anyone learn his identity as the child of Cornelius and Zira, it would mean their deaths. They see apes performing various menial tasks and are shocked at the harsh discipline of, of disobedient apes. Seeing an ape being beaten and drugged, he who shouted, not his chimpanzee. The surrounding crowd becomes agitated and Caesar runs away. Dum, 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 dum. Hiding in a stairway, Armando tells Caesar he will go to the authorities and bluff his way out of the situation. Meantime, Caesar has to hide among his own kind in a cage of orangutans and soon finds himself being trained for slavery through violent conditioning. He's then sold at auction to Governor Breck. Breck allows the ape to name himself by randomly pointing to a word in a book handed to him and the chimpanzee's finger rests upon the name Caesar, feigning coincidence. Caesar is then put to work by Breck's chief aide, McDonald, who sympathizes with the apes to the thinly veiled disgust of his boss. McDonald eventually figures out who Caesar really is. Meanwhile, Armando is being interrogated by Inspector Culp, who suspects his circus ape is the child of the two talking apes from the future. Culp's assistant puts Armando under the authenticator machine that psychologically forces people to be truthful. Rather than confessing, Armando fights the guards and slips, falling to his death through a window. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm laughing, but it was like, are you kidding me? Learning of the death of his foster father, the only human that cared for him, Caesar loses faith in human kindness and begins plotting a rebellion. I'll never forget that scene, actually. Yeah. Was really touching. And, I think so. And, and uh, I mean, the, the, when, when Armando jumps through that window, it was like, oh, no. And then when, when, he, when, the, when the ape realizes what's happened, it really was, he did a really great job of acting there because you could see the rage just come up inside of him. 
And now yeah, I love I love when uh, when he's bringing when he's getting them to bring him stuff, and the apes are bringing him like all kinds yeah. of stuff he doesn't he doesn't need, you know, like a butter knife. Yeah, it's like he looks at it and like shakes oh, his head. Yeah. Know, uh, <laughs> well, secretly, Caesar teaches combat to the other apes and has them gather weapons. Meanwhile, Breck learns from Culp that the manifest of the vessel that delivered Caesar lists no chimpanzees. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Suspecting Caesar is the ape the police are hunting, Breck's men arrest Caesar and electrically torture him until he speaks. Hearing the confession, Breck orders Caesar's immediate death. Caesar survives his execution because McDonald lowers the machine's electrical output well below lethal levels. Once Breck leaves, Caesar kills his torturer and escapes. Caesar leads an ape revolt against ape management. The apes are victorious after killing most of the riot police. After bursting 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 after bursting into Breck's command post and killing most of the personnel, Caesar has Breck marched out to be executed. McDonald is spared and he appeals to Caesar to show mercy to his former persecutor. Caesar ignores him and in a rage declares, Where there is fire, there is smoke! And in that smoke from this day forward, my people will crouch and conspire and plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. The day when he finally and self-destructively turns his weapons against his own kind. The day of riding in the sky, when your cities lie buried underneath radioactive rubble, when the sea is a dead sea and the land is a wasteland out of which I will lead my people from their captivity. And we shall build our own cities, in which there will be no place for humans except to serve our ends. And we shall found our own armies, our own religion, our own dynasty. And that day is upon you now. (sighs) As the apes raise their rifles to beat Breck to death, Lisa, Caesar's love interest, voices her objection. No! She is the first ape to speak other than Caesar. Caesar's, or Caesar reconsiders and orders the apes to lower their weapons, saying, But now, now we will put away our hatred. Now we will put down our weapons. We have passed through the night of the fires, and those who were our masters are now our servants. And we, who are not human, can afford to be humane. Destiny is the will of God. And if it is man's destiny to be dominated, it is God's will that he be dominated with compassion and understanding. So cast out your vengeance. Tonight, we have seen the birth of the planet of the apes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, and then, of course, the camera pans up with the fire and everything. That was another great movie. Yes. It's, that is not the original ending. Really? That's correct. Tell they us about that. Well, the second half of the final scene with Lisa begging Caesar to show mercy and him giving his equality speech was added after the film's completion. This is why the final shot is only of Caesar's eyes and is of grainy quality. The shot was just a cropped piece of footage from earlier in the film. Roddy McDowell was brought in to uh, read the final lines, which were then edited into place. Originally, the film ended on a darker note with the gorillas mercilessly beating Breck and the other human survivors to death with their rifle butts. Oh, no. 
Yeah, much of the same footage exists in both endings, but in the revised version of the film, the apes raising the rifles is played in reverse, so it appears they are lowering them, and the footage of the apes beating is cut to make it appear they are cheering. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Very. And that's on the Blu-ray. That is uh, that original ending is, and it's way brutal, and it's a down ending. Oh, <laughs> I, not... I would imagine. <laughs> did it did it not go over in theaters or something, or did they have a test audience that it just didn't work? I'm with? not sure if it was a test audience or if the executives just thought that the movie was just too violent. Well, and... when they all wanted to go out and kill themselves afterwards, it probably was a, an indicator that maybe this isn't going to be a good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what was your impression then of this movie? What did you think of it? I really like um, sort of dystopian future stuff. I find it really interesting. So, I do I mean, too. I do too. To my sensibilities, I like I like a lot of it. I think it's you know it's it's far removed. It's getting to be pretty far removed in this movie from from uh, the original. But you know, Caesar's a good character. Um, I love Ricardo Montalban. Oh yeah, I mean, he was great. Yeah, he, you know, and. Uh, I, 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 I like it. I like all of them. I mean, in some way or another. It's This one is it's not one of my favorites. It's probably uh, between this one and the last one might be my least favorite. But I think it's it's good. It's, I, it's I really, interesting. I, I thought the, the reconditioning, you know, when they were training the apes, that I was that. that was a really cool series of scenes there. I and, love that. That's probably my favorite, some of my favorite stuff. In and the, and the restaurant scene. When the fire burns, you know, when the when the the the, right. the 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 ape waiter has the fire flame up, that was a real. I just thought those were really good scenes. It, yeah. it it really, you know, tugged on your heart, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like slavery. And they they made their point very well. Yeah, the the apes are the ninety nine percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> and uh, a little behind the scenes stuff here. Um, this is the only film from the original five movies that was not rated G. Um, and it's the only entry released without a pre-title sequence. Oh. Reason. The opening was deemed too violent, and the producers wanted to avoid an R rating. The opening showed police on night patrol shooting an escaped ape and discovering his body covered with welts and bruises that are evidence of severe abuse. Mm. That and many other bloody images were deleted after a pre-release print was shown to a preview audience. Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah. The opening scene appears in the novelization and the comic book adaptation. Uh, the Blu-ray restored all that stuff, and I just watched that recently. Oh, I've got to see that. I have not seen that. Yeah. Um, cool. The budget, $1.8 million. Low, low. Yeah. And box office, 9.2, so that's also low. Yeah. You know, uh, diminishing returns. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Um, and the jumpsuits that you see wearing, that the apes are wearing uh, throughout the whole movie, are uh, leftover costumes from the 60s uh, TV series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which I <laughs> sort of uh, vaguely remember that. I do too. That's so funny. The ape management men's insignia patches and computer and electronic cabinets all come from the Irwin Allen series Time Tunnel. Oh, very interesting. The large set that comprised ape management uh, is a redress set of. Uh, Admiral Matthews' office in the Triton. Oh, interesting. And the same chair is also used by passengers on the space plane in Land of the Giants. Oh, my goodness. How cool is that? I love that they used to recycle all those old props. Oh, I know. Well, it makes you you wouldn't know it by watching it, but then when you're told that, you go back and look, sure enough. Yeah, there it is. That's really, really cool. Star Trek did a lot of that. Oh, I know, like the transporter room and everything. Flip it upside down. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. I'll never forget going to the... uh, 
got me on Star Trek. Stop it. I went, I went to the experience in Las Vegas, and standing in the transporter room was probably one of the biggest rushes of my life. And uh, there was a moment in time where they, uh, they beam you off of the uh, station and onto the Enterprise. And, man, it, is the, it was the coolest feeling ever. I wish I could have been there. Never made it there. Oh, it was so awesome. And then, they, of course, I found out later uh, when I took the behind-the-scenes tour how they did that. And it was fascinating. And someday, I'll share it with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but not today. We're talking about apes. Mm. Okay, so we got another ape movie. Now we're, we're winding down, and this is going to be the last one that comes out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the final in the, the apes franchise? <clears throat> Battle. For the Planet of the Apes. We want guns! Now, the final chapter in the incredible ape saga. There it is, our wars. This is the hell my forefathers used to speak about. This background radiation alone will give us 300 rentgens an hour. The battlefield. A dead city, 12 years after the ultimate bomb has been dropped. The prize, the right to inherit what's left of the Earth. The contestants, ape against man. The most unbelievable showdown ever filmed. As the mutants, strange, transformed men who live underground like moles, battle the apes to decide who will be master and who will be slain. They're getting away. Kill them. Murdered my son. We will smash the human and then we will smash Caesar. I don't want to have to remember my husband. I want to love him now. But we who survive will create a new race. In the aftermath of his victory, the surface of the world was ravaged by the vilest war in human history. Climaxing the epic series which made motion picture history comes the last, the most spectacular of all the ape adventures. Out of the forbidden city they roared to settle once and for all who had the right to rule the planet, ape or man. Released in 73, directed by J. Lee Thompson, he's back, starring Roddy McDowell as Caesar again, Claude Aikens as Aldo, Natalie Trondi as Lisa uh, back again, Paul Williams as Virgil. I love Paul Williams. <laughs> Paul Williams is great. That's the guy I was talking about. He's a singer. That's, yes, that yes, yeah. Paul Williams. Yep. Phantom of Paradise. You ever see that? He's in that movie. I did not. Yeah, it's a weird 70s musical. You should look at it. Look for it. It's, right. it's a weird... Uh, Austin Stoker as McDonald, not to say McDonald, but his cousin, 
and John Huston as a lawgiver. Oh, that was what a great voice, huh? Yeah, very, very iconic. Yeah, very cool. All right, yeah. well, why don't we go through the plot then? Alrighty. Told in flashback in the early 21st century with a wraparound sequence by the lawgiver, uh, set in North America, 2670 AD. This sequel follows the ape leader Caesar years after he led the revolution in the previous film. In this post-nuclear society, Caesar tries to cultivate peace between apes and humans. A guerrilla general named Aldo, however, opposes this and plots uh, Caesar's downfall. Caesar is married to Lisa, the female ape of the previous film, and they have a son named Cornelius. That's nice. In honor of his father. Aww. Yeah. Caesar regrets never having known his parents until his human assistant, McDonald, tells him about film archives of his parents, which he can also learn about the future. The archives are located in the Forbidden City, now a radioactive ruin. After obtaining weapons from the armory, that's a pretty cool scene. Yeah. Caesar travels with McDonald and Virgil to the Forbidden City and sneaks in to find the archives. However, there are radiation-scarred humans still living there under the command of General Culp. Caesar and his party view the recordings of Cornelius and Zira and learn about the future of the world, but barely have time to study the tapes before they have to escape being captured. Caesar assembles a meeting to report his discoveries at the Forbidden City. Aldo objects when some humans show up, and he leads the gorillas away. Aldo, what a dummy. <laughs> Dumbest ape ever. He really is. He's stupid. A team of scouts sent by General Culp return and tell him about Ape City. Culp considers this covert trip by Caesar an act of espionage. His assistant Mendez believes they did nothing wrong and should be left alone. <laughs> but General Culp, General Culp stubbornly declares war on Ape City, mustering the humans to destroy Ape society. Get the school bus. We're going to war. <laughs> That's right, boys. <laughs> Get the old jeeps out, too. Aldo is furious that Caesar wants to coexist peacefully with humans and plots a coup in order to become the ape leader himself. <laughs> Cornelius overhears this while trying to escape to, sorry, to catch his escaped pet squirrel in a nearby tree. Aldo spots him and hacks the tree branch down, critically injuring Cornelius. Oh, what a jerk. Oh. After a gorilla scouting pair is attacked by the approaching humans... Aldo orders all humans be corralled and leads the gorillas to loot the weapons armory. Cornelius eventually dies from his wounds, leaving Caesar devastated, but not without leaving him with a warning about Aldo's coup. It is at this moment that Culp's ragtag force launches their attack against Ape City. The initial mutant attack succeeds, forcing Caesar to order the defenders to fall back. When Culp finds Caesar lying among dozens of apes, he threatens to kill him, but the fallen apes were feigning death or hiding on Caesar's orders launch a counterattack that captures most of the mutants. Culp and his forces are killed by Aldo's troops while attempting to retreat. After the battle, Aldo wants to kill the penned humans, but Caesar shields them. Aldo declares that Caesar should be killed if he shields the humans, but before he can carry this out, Virgil reveals Aldo's hand in Cornelius's death and the breaking of the ape community's most sacred law. Ape must never kill ape. Ape must never kill ape. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> An infuriated Caesar pursues Aldo up a large tree, resulting in Aldo falling to his death. That they're monkeys. I know. Whatever. I was kind of like, boy, he kind of slipped. He must have. Maybe he put a banana up there, and we didn't know. <laughs> 
Caesar then attempts to free the humans, but they refuse to leave the pen unless humans are treated as equals. Caesar then, <laughs> Caesar then realizes the apes are just as despicable as the former slave owners, and the apes and humans then decide to coexist with one another and begin a new society. Excellent. The lawgiver finishes the narration, which takes place over 600 years later, to a group of young humans and apes. The two species have continued to coexist. When asked by a human child, who knows about the future? The lawgiver replies, perhaps only the dead. A close-up of the statue of Caesar shows a single tear falling from one eye. And that, they say, is a wrap. That's a wrap. Wow. And do you, Now, what were your first thoughts on seeing this movie? Uh, it's, it's a lighter tone than the last couple for sure. For the last four, I think of, of all the sequels, it's yeah. sort of the most straightforward movie. Um, I tried at the ending. I'm like, are they saying that this is not, that they've changed the future and that yeah the future of planet of the apes may not happen because humans and apes are coexisting. Yeah. I, I thought that was pretty interesting yeah i thought so too but it was definitely more of a sci-fi b absolutely yeah and it was definitely i mean we had all the other movies to 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 compare with it and to you know prop it up i think but um, the most fascinating scenes to me i always loved it whenever they would go visit the these the places where we got to see what our society was like after the nuclear bomb hit yeah, that's cool stuff. And so when they're coming into the to the city and everything, and the the matte paintings that they have of the city and everything, that was just I don't know. I just love those parts. It just made it so fascinating to me. And then of course later on, and we'll talk briefly about the series that was on TV. They showed quite a bit of those type of things. Yes. Uh, um, you know, and, and on the back lots of Hollywood. You know, they you know pour a bunch of rubble around on a the set from bonanza or something like that you know (laughs) or you know star trek or something yeah it was sort of like it did remind me um in you know in now watching it years later i'm watching uh ape city reminds me of that baku village you know it's like it's like you know they made a nice little set and but really it's only just a few people yeah i mean it's like yeah it doesn't seem like this is like this great society, but right. then again, it was the seventies and they only had so much money. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it was a nice set and I like, I did like a lot of the, uh, like I said, the, the guy who in charge of all the guns and everything, he just sits in there with those that, guns all day. That was awesome. When he asked questions like the bridge keeper. Yes. Uh, <laughs> what, what is your quest? <laughs> what is your favorite color? <laughs> Red, yellow. Ah! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is your least favorite species? <laughs> Ape, no human. Well, this was shot on the Fox Ranch for a measly $1.2 million. Director J. Lee Thompson was both unhappy with the script as well as the scope of the production, which he felt could have used a bigger budget to portray the battle. Thompson had agreed to direct without a script in place and regretted that Paul Den couldn't have been on the project throughout the writing process. So the budget was $1.2 million, um, and the box office made $8.8 million. Yeah, I mean, still not too, not too well, bad. Well, they made money. They didn't lose money on it. No. And you got some cool lose. trivia things about it. Yeah, the trivia is pretty neat. Uh, well, there's really only one little... The, uh, Roddy McDowell and Natalie Trundy, as we talked about, are the only cast members to appear in four of the five movies. 
Uh, he appeared in all of them except Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Natalie Trundy did not appear in the original Apes movie, but appeared in all four sequels. Roddy McDowell also starred in the Planet of the Apes TV series. Ah. It's also no- noted that Roddy is the only actor to voice three different apes, Cornelius, his son Caesar, and Galen in the TV series. And you know, that was I thought that was interesting because out of all the apes, the only one that had a British accent... <laughs> Yeah, he, where do the apes get a British accent from? Well, where do accent where do they get any accent? That's from? true. You know, it's like, hey, I think meds had something to do with it. Yeah, I think so. They might have found some old Waffle On podcast. I think that's what it was. He was a Cornelius was a big fan. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about the uh, the TV series. Uh, it it uh, was just called uh, Planet of the Apes. It ran for thirteen episodes, and I don't think they even aired. They All of them. Yeah, they didn't. I don't think they aired the last two episodes, from right. what I understand. And it was canceled to to pretty low ratings, and had Roddy McDowell, Ron Harper, uh, James Naughton, and Mark Leonard, who of course played Sarek. Sarek, yes. And it follows a similar plot to the first movie. It's just more astronauts, you know, and they find apes. I thought it was, you know, I really liked the series. I got it on DVD um, yeah. quite a while ago, and and. I didn't really know about it. And then I was—I think I was talking to somebody on Trex and Sci-Fi about it, and and uh, they mentioned that there was a TV series. I said, "No way!" So I found it and I ordered it and I watched it, and it really—you know—it it was really cheesy, but I liked it. And I mean, it was more apes, you know. It was cool. Yeah, and they I did have a great only job. a only a vague recollection of it. It's great. You have to get the DVDs, or I can send you mine. You can watch mine. <laughs> that I might think work. I saw them on Amazon, like for like nine bucks. Yeah, it wasn't very expensive. Yeah, but then you get to see the lo- the lost episodes too, which is really cool. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just like a vague recollection. It was on like in New York. We had this ch- uh, Channel Eleven that had like tons of reruns, and I think I saw a few of them. And I had the Mego dolls, so I was like, oh, I remember. I have the doll of that. So that's uh, way cool. I, yes, they were cool dolls. Now there was also another series that was animated, right? Yeah, and it was called Return to the Planet of the Apes. Again, it had 13 episodes, followed more astronauts that landed in the future. Stop sending those astronauts. <laughs> you would think that they wouldn't do that anymore. Hey, it wouldn't be, uh, a sh- it wouldn't be Treks and Sci-Fi without the phone ringing. Of course, that hasn't happened for the last 100 episodes. But early on in the days of Treks and Sci-Fi, Rico would get a phone call almost during every show. So this is just cool. celebrating that right now. And what's really funny is my family knows I'm in here recording an episode with you, but nobody has picked up the phone. <laughs> uh, they're fired. Yeah, you're fired. <laughs> okay, and I'm sorry. They, they kind of, I guess there's some other characters that make appearances in it, and supposedly it somehow fits in the continuity, but that continuity, I can't figure it out. So I think Dr. Zayas shows up in it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I haven't... The, 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 the animated show, again, is something I probably haven't seen. It probably would pro- not make it through too much of it. I've tried watching the Star Trek animated show, and I don't make through make it through uh, too many episodes of it. I don't really... It's not really Star Trek to me. Yeah. Same thing with this. I've watched them all a few times. I have yeah, to I'm, say, I'm, I'm, really, all, I'm but... really a crazy Trekkie, and that's my fault. So yeah. No, I, I'm a Trekkie as well. I just, for some reason, that show just, I don't know, creeps me out. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Well, now, there are a couple of other things that we could talk about within the franchise. Um, you ha- We have a fun little thing to play from The Simpsons. 
um, that I'll let you introduce here in a moment. But uh, there was, obviously, just lately, a new movie called Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But before that, I remember being very excited that they were coming out with a remake of the Planet of the Apes. And this time, it was going to be directed by Tim Burton. What did you think? You saw that movie, and what did you think of it? <laughs> I thought the <laughs> all right. I thought the uh, listen. It's visually very interesting. The, the the makeup is Rick Baker, and he's to me when I was a kid. I read Fangoria magazine. Oh yeah, Rick, Rick Baker is a makeup god. Oh, he's amazing. Awesome, awesome job on the makeup. Absolutely. Um, Mark Wahlberg. I'm not a fan of. I'm sure many people are. I find him to be. Like the, oh, I don't know. He's just monot. He just bothers me. And the story, yeah, it was like you know, they tr- tried to copy some of the first movie. They tried to do so- their twist ending, which the twist ending is like the novel, the original novel, where he comes back to Earth and they've gone through. They have apes now, right? Because you know? it was a different planet that he was on this remake, right? And I'm, sh- I don't know. I, I didn't. It just. I've watched it again. I thought maybe that I was just overly hyped for it, sort of like Indiana Jones 4. Right. right. <laughs> and that maybe I just expected too much. But you know what? I've watched it again, and it's like, it's, uh, it doesn't, doesn't, I mean, there's cool, like Paul Giamatti is that orangutan. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was funny. Yeah, I mean, there's good stuff in it, but. I yeah. Don't like it. Well, you know, I was expecting something completely different. But then with Tim Burton, you always get a more exaggerated type of feeling with his movies. Because he's, he's almost like he puts cartoons to life. Yeah. And in this case, I think that's, you know, the makeup was brilliant. The sets were pretty amazing looking. I liked, actually, the special effects were pretty good, too. It just didn't, for some reason, it didn't have the sparkle like it should have. I, I don't know what the reasoning behind it was or why it worked that way. Um, but I have to say that there were a, a few scenes that I really enjoyed in it. And yeah. um, I liked the spaceship. I liked, I liked the uh, battle scenes. But, you know... Quite honestly, it wasn't the movie that I liked so much. It was the DVD release with all the special features. Um, DVDs had just then uh, started having all these behind-the-scenes stuff come out on them. And when they released this one, it had multiple angles that you could use on the on the DVD remote. You could, oh. you could see it being filmed at the same time as the scene was going on. There were different things that would come up during the movie if you enabled it, and you could click on them. And then you would get behind-the-scenes information on that particular thing and, and listen to the actors and actually watch some of the filming and the special effects being created. And that's actually what I liked more than the actual movie was yeah. the DVD. It had, it had like 13 hours of special features, and especially the one that highlighted Rick Baker's makeup because what you got to see is them putting the, what do they call, Algenon or whatever that stuff is that they put over the actors' faces to get the molds and you know, putting straws up their nose and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff. It was fascinating. And then their hands—I mean, they did full hands and arms—and you know, their feet in that movie were pretty cool. Yeah, they did. Not, I'm not the makeup and all that stuff. I just don't think. I think maybe Tim Burton wasn't the right guy for I, it. I agree. I, think, I agree. If they could have done the makeup and had a different director, I don't feel like it's in his wheelhouse. You know, when you no. see like uh, like dark shadows and stuff, you're like, well, oh, okay, Tim Burton. And I but, it, like. Forgive me, but um, Chris Christopherson, <laughs> he was horrible in it. I know. He, and he's horrible in it. He couldn't. Act, he can't act his way out of a paper bag. I know. And I'm just saying, like, Mark Wahlberg, I don't find him charismatic. <laughs> he, I could, know he was that great in that rock star movie, wasn't he? 
Steel just, Dragon. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I just don't find like I, I don't find him to. Be, I think that uh, a different director, uh, maybe a story that was really their own. Yeah. Uh, um, and a better leading man, somebody with some charisma. Yeah, you know? it could have been a very, very, very cool movie. But you know, they gave it a shot. I know it had a huge budget, and it. it I don't think it did well though. It didn't. It didn't do its budget. Yeah. I don't think it. Did. But there would have been. I, might, a it, I mean, sequel. I think worldwide it made some. It might have. If you added up worldwide, it probably did make money. I don't think. Uh, I know we only pay attention to domestic. I think it did make some money. But yeah. I didn't find it. Okay, now let let's go ahead and go on to the movie we have most recently watched. Um, this was Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and this had some pretty groundbreaking special effects. Hmm. Uh, that you know, thank God for Lord of the Rings, you know, and movies like that that pre, you know, came before because they were able to do some pretty darn cool stuff in this one. What did you think of the new one? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Now, and because it's take, it's not a remake. It's not even really. I don't even consider it to be like a real prequel to the. 60, 68 movie. I don't. I think this is its own thing. Taking the that universe, taking its own spin on it, and uh, and seeing where it goes. I mean, this has nothing to do with with the future shown. And I mean, it doesn't. This is not how it happens in the other movies. Right. So, I mean, it's it's pretty good. And 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 Caesar, it, it was real to me. I I, I really. Uh, you felt for him. It, you didn't. I didn't really watch it thinking, "Oh, there's a special effect. There's a special effect." I really kind of, you, know, you kind of identify with this CGI character that yeah. that uh, was done by Andy Serkis. I mean, it's a cool. It's a really cool movie and has some really. Uh, there, there's a lot of um, ties to the old movie. I think there's sure. like. A, like I think there's like in the background there's like a TV that has a news yeah. footage of a ship called Icarus getting launched, right? And um, I th- some of the lines I think they kind of use those, but it was cool. Like I liked when Caesar showing all the mon- all the apes how to do stuff, and like you know they kind of get into their roles. You know, like the gorilla becomes the muscle. And, yeah, it was know. it was fascinating to watch that. I I really liked the scene where he's handing out the Chips Ahoy cookies. Oh yeah, that was awesome. But but you know that I thought they did a really good job with the main actor in that. He, um, I mean, he, he reminded me, of course, of the Spider-Man movies only because you know Green Goblin and everything. But James Franco is that how you say his name? Is that yeah. the, the lead guy? But he really, I thought he did a great great job as the scientist, even though he he was a little young. I thought maybe, <laughs> but I as soon as I started the the movie just went quick for me. And I, I just went ahead and, and accepted it, and and I, you know, you got to really, you got to really enjoy the characters, and then to see, you know, the guy's father, going through all that rough stuff with um, Alzheimer's and different things, and then to see him be cured, and then, you know, all that stuff. It was it was really they played on your emotions, but how how in the world can we get so wrapped up emotionally in a character that's all computer generated? Well, I, I think they're amazing. Yeah, it has to do with the fact that, you know, they got Andy Serkis, who's kind yeah. of invented this sort of acting, you know, yeah. and I think that he's behind it all. And uh, just, he does it, he just kind of, when you watch the, the the Blu-ray, that has like a lot of those behind-the-scenes things, they kind of show him doing his thing next to the footage, and it's like, it's pretty remarkable, I think. I need to get that. I haven't watched that yet. I need to do that, because I, I yeah. really enjoyed that movie, and especially just that, I mean, even the, you could, you felt like the hair even was real on that on that CGI thing. It was amazing. 
Yeah, and I, I, I hope they do have a sequel to it. It was going to be, they weren't even going to call it Rise of the Planet of the Apes. They were just going to call it Rise of the Apes initially, but I guess they did want to tie it to the, to the series. They weren't going to have, the planet wasn't in there. They wanted it just to be Rise of the Apes, sort of like when they just said, well, this isn't Star Trek Enterprise, it's Enterprise. Right. So right. there's, this is our own thing. But they, they, you know, Planet of the Apes brings money. So it, it does. And I think it probably got a lot of, you know, the fans out to see it. And then, of course, this movie, of course, you didn't really have to have the history of the other ones to really enjoy it. And so I think that's one of the reasons it was one of the top grossing movies last year. Yep. And and I think surprising. I think a lot of people were surprised because I think when a lot of people kind of saw that a lot of people I talked to said they saw the trailers and weren't that jazzed about it. And I'm like, I don't know. This looks pretty neat. And it's Planet of the Apes, so I'm there. I like anything with apes. Yeah. I'm, I'm always there. I'm a sucker for the apes. I don't know why. It, it's, yep. it's so funny. Uh, you know, and people that know me, are they're always they always laugh because they know I love Planet of the Apes and they just think for what I do and what I believe in different things that it's so odd and out of character for me but I don't know there's just something about making those monkeys and you know talk that makes me think it's cool and yeah. I and of course I've always been a sucker for Hollywood makeup and computer animated stuff I just I just think it's a really cool concept and idea and I'm so curious of what they're going to do with this franchise in the future. It'll be very interesting to see what they do. But in the meantime, people can really enjoy the franchise. There are so many really great DVDs out. They've got the box set. Now they have the Blu-ray. Is it a Blu-ray box set that they have now? Yeah, and it has like a monkey head in it if you get the whole box set. It's crazy. It's like, way it's... cool. Yeah. I mean, it's spendy, but it's way cool. If I had the yeah. money, I would have it. But it's... it's um. It's such a great um, series and stuff. Now you can watch it in the you know privacy of your home and enjoy the the movies and that they have tons of behind the scenes stuff. Uh, on the box set, they even have a, a whole DVD that's just like the history, and it you know chron- takes it chronologically and talks about all the movies and has um, all sorts of really cool things. But in particular, we have a real treat for folks today, and that is uh, you found. A, a really neat audio clip, and could you set it up for us? Because this is um, this is something that's not on the DVDs. No, this was an old. Uh, this was actually part of a documentary that was released with the video box set, which I have VHS. I've had the DVDs. Uh, I have an illness when, with buying this stuff. You you are the you're, you're ape over the apes, man. Uh, well, it, it, it's a, it's it's like I said, it's a sickness. You don't but, monkey um, you don't monkey around here, do you? <laughs> no. You I knew got, I was going to get those in somehow. I, I wouldn't slip. I wouldn't slip up too much, you know. I got a fever, and the only <laughs> prescription is more apes. <laughs> more apes. Give me some now, old cowbell. The <laughs> the uh, and it's called. It was called Behind the Planet of the Apes. And it was it was originally on the channel AMC, and it, and it was uh, Roddy McDowell hosted it, and it was a great great documentary. I, I really don't think they put it on DVD, or maybe they did, but if I need to find it, because my, my, my VCR no longer works, so I can't watch it, but I did find a clip from it, and Roddy McDowell's talking about uh, acting in the makeup, which is, it's a pretty cool little clip. That's very cool. And how long is this one, do you know? Off the top no. of your head? All right, well, why don't, why don't we do this? Uh, is there anything else you want to say about the franchise and everything? Because uh, what, what I can do is play this clip and then and then play the Simpsons' uh, Dr. Yeah. Zayas song. Uh, why don't you give us an, also an intro for Zayas' song here? Oh, Dr. Zayas? Yeah. Oh, the Planet of the Apes, the musical, where they tell uh, Troy McClure <laughs> that he's gonna he got the part of the human, and he says... <laughs> 
It's the part I was born to play, baby. How how long is the did how long is this musical? I've never seen it. Oh, it was just a it was a little two minute thing. A little in, clip uh, from it. It was like a little Simpsons clip, but if you've never seen it, it's part of the, it's a, it's a I believe the episode of the Simpsons is called is a fish called Selma, and uh, <laughs> it's a it's one of the best episodes. It's one of the early ones. Well, you know, I have to go watch it now because you do. Yeah. So what what we'll do is we'll play the cool behind the scenes little thing so people can hear the actors talking and everything, and then we'll end the show uh, with the Doctor Zayas song and maybe <laughs> maybe a surprise or two. You just never know. No, you don't. Chris, this has been really fun, and yeah. I, ho- I hope everybody's had a lot of fun going down memory lane. Is there anything else you want to say about the series and, and why you love it so much? Uh, not really. I think we've covered it all, but I do want to say that, uh, hey, thanks, Rico, man. I oh, mean, yeah. This is a, I just started uh, hanging out with you guys on, on the boards and listening about a year ago. And, uh, I mean, I've made some cool, I met some cool people. I'm friends with Rick, who I didn't know a year ago. I, I love it. It's a great community that he's, uh, created and, uh, I love the show. I love, I love all you guys. So, uh, very thanks. cool. Well, it's been a lot of fun having you on the, on the forums and stuff too. You bring a, uh, you know, another dimension to it. That's what's so cool about online communities like we have yeah. uh, in this particular one at Trex and Sci-Fi. We, we don't, there's no, hardly any, ever any arguments. There's not. You know, yeah, fl- flame throwing going on. You know, it's it's mostly a, a group of people that really enjoy science fiction and fantasy and stuff like that, and just a great community of great people. And I have to say, Chris, that I really like. Um, I've I've become friends with you outside of the forum. That's we right. we I message and call each other and talk, and yeah. I really enjoy our friendship. And I'm looking forward because. Uh, you have some cool things ahead. I know you want to do some podcasting and some things, but I would totally be up for doing another episode of Treks and Sci-Fi with you. So let's come up with a subject, and we'll yeah. ask Rico, and we'll we'll come back and say hi to everybody again. Yeah, yeah, and uh, hey, hey, everybody, and uh, thanks to thanks to the board. I can I draw pictures uh, that uh, a guy in England deciphers and a guy on the other side of the country deciphers on this <laughs> iPhone. Thing. It's crazy. <laughs> It's wild stuff. It is. It is. It's absolutely cool. So thanks, everybody, for joining us for this look into the Planet of the Apes franchise. Thank you so much uh, for joining us for Treks in Sci-Fi. So here's that cool behind-the-scenes thing. And then, of course, the song, Dr. Zaius. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time on Treks in Sci-Fi. Arthur Jacobs personally offered me the part of Cornelius on a plane flight back from London. I accepted immediately, intrigued by the technical challenge of acting inside the elaborate ape makeup. I remember Roddy McDowell saying that uh, the trick for acting behind those makeups was to overact with your face, then it would bleed through the makeup. If we didn't keep the appliances moving, uh, they began to look like masks. Everybody and I got very used to making them move all the time. We were doing all kinds of crazy little things with our face all the time <laughs> to keep them moving. Zero was played by Kim Hunter, best known for her Academy Award-winning performance as Stella in A Streetcar Named Desire. My agent sent me a copy of the script wanted to know what I was interested in, should he pursue it. <laughs> and I thought it was fascinating. Eventually it came through and they flew me out to LA for the uh, costume tests. 
So I figured I'd be going to the costume department, right? No, went to John Chambers' department. And I couldn't believe it, what we had to go through to get all of that on. It took about five hours the first time. Not only in appliances, but all the other stuff that went with it, the wig. We had fur on, on our hands and had to wear brown nail polish. The only thing that was not covered in some way or another were my eyeballs. We then, you know, did tests in front of camera. People asked me a lot, as an actress, didn't it bother you that they couldn't see you? Well, they saw the character I was playing. That's all I care about. One of the pivotal ape characters in the film was Dr. Zayas, the elder orangutan statesman. Inheriting the role after Edward G. Robinson's departure was the noted Shakespearean stage and screen actor, Morris Evans. People would say, why are you spending all the money on, on the actors? You never see their faces. To be convincing and for the idea to work, we had to have great actors. People weren't expecting for a science fiction picture to find that kind of talent. And I think that was surprising and impressive to audiences. And it certainly lent to the credibility of the piece. But you hear their voices and it's their delivery. And that was the key, unmistakable voices. Help, the human's about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape. <gasps> he can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk! I can sing! Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Oh, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy! Want a second opinion? You're also lazy! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, oh, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, 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 Dr. Zayas. You're listening to the Treks and Sci-Fi podcast with Rico Dosti and friends. Your weekly dose of geeky goodness. You maniacs! You blew it up! Damn you! God damn you all to hell! You got what you wanted, Tiger. How does it fit? It's a manhouse! A manhouse! Chalk up another victory for the human spirit. There's man that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox is sent into the stars. Still make war against his brother. I still say you're making a mistake. Has the spirit keep him flying? What? 
The plagues of discontent. Remember, never trust anybody over 30. What will he find out there, Doctor? His destiny. Weapons and the guns. The best, but we won't need. I'm glad to hear it. I want one anyway. Oh!